0: Welcome to episode 37 of the Multidimensional Evolution Podcast with me, Kim McCall. My guest today is transactional therapist and long-term meditation practitioner, Martin Wells. Be aware. Be aware of what? Be aware of your body. Those were the instructions of my first ever meditation teacher. From the simple practice he taught, I learned that we can always ground ourselves and become present to the moment through awareness of our body. It's a lesson I still cherish. So I was very happy to have this chance to speak with Martin about his use of mindfulness in therapy. Martin has several decades experience as a therapist in the English National Health Service, the context in which he regularly gets to apply his practice in complex interpersonal interactions. Discussing Martin's recent book, Sitting in the Stillness Freedom from the Personal Story, which is structured around a number of his therapeutic interactions, offered a good opportunity to explore both the benefits of mindfulness as well as some of its potential risks or drawbacks. Among the topics we touch on are the impact of our ancestors on our emotional life, the jadedness that we can experience when we're on a long term spiritual journey the benefits of approaching therapeutic work as a soul-to-soul or consciousness-to-consciousness connection, the concept of non-duality, and much more. We use the term mindfulness quite a bit. Martin defines mindfulness as noticing and accepting whatever occurs. So keep that in mind when the term comes up. And as always, don't believe in anything, experiment, and have your own experiences. (laughs) Yeah, so Martin, thanks for coming on and talking to me about sitting in the stillness.
1: You're welcome.
0: Um, I would like to start with just getting a bit of the your your background, your story, and there's different parts to that, I guess. Uh, one thing I noticed um, is that we have a bit of a shared background in you've got a, a German-English connection. Yes. Um, I have a German-Irish connection, so my mum is German and uh, oh. my, dad is, my dad is Irish, um, but I, I grew up in um, Germany rather than, rather than Ireland.
1: Did you? Okay. Uh, yeah. Were you bilingual, um, Kim? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Because I, I gather from your part of your story is, in a sense, trying to hide that German yeah. aspect in the post-war uk which i can imagine
1: yes yes so my mum my mum didn't teach me german i learned it at school since and i mean she's still alive actually so we occasionally chat in german but i I wasn't bilingual and as you as you say it was part of my growing up in in the early 50s in england was was yeah to, to do what i could to hide that aspect of my ethnicity really
0: yeah Look, I mean, even, in, you know, I grew up, uh, so, well, born in the 70s, but it's sort of in the 80s I started visiting different countries around. So visited we came to England a few times with the school and yeah. uh, Fra- France and Netherlands. And the war, the, the, there was still presence there, right? You still got uh, sometimes kind of felt a bit uncomfortable being German. People made comments about you uh, in yeah. all, those, all those countries, really. Um,
1: really? Wow.
0: I think now yeah. it's shifted. From what I gathered. I think so shipping, too.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think so too. Um we went we went back actually. My brother and I went back to my mum's hometown, which is in two thousand and seven, I think, uh, which is now part of Russia. So she had to flee she and her family had to flee what was then Königsberg um right. uh in nineteen forty-four. So so we, we went back. It was really interesting trip to go back and and see where she came from.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really valuable to connect with our roots in that way, right? Our Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, um, no, true.
0: Yeah, so tell me a bit about your I'd like to start with a bit of a sense of people's paradigm, you know, sort of your your reference point. And um mm. uh I guess there's different angles to that. So one of the things that comes up right now for me is, for example, the, the relevance of um, the role of the ancestors, right, and, and how we carry our lineage, how we mm. carry, for example, the traumas that your mum would have gone through fleeing um, mm. during the Second World War. Mm. So, so that kind of, uh, you know, to what extent those attributes feed into your therapeutic work. But also, a lot of the listeners to this podcast are interested in, um, uh, or, or you know, study topics such as out-of-body travel, uh, into influences from subtle dimensions, you know, life mm. after death, those kinds of aspects. Uh, maybe um, past life influences in in our mm. um, in our person right now. So yeah, I'm curious to what extent yeah. these things feed into your work, your therapeutic work, or also just your your own practice in in mindfulness and,
1: yes. and your meditation. Yeah, yeah thank you is a lot in that question, isn't there? I think. Um, I think on a on a on a personal level, um, the the subtle influences of, of my mother's life and and then my father's life and their parents' lives uh, are. I think they're very profound. Um, they're not always that easy to access, um, and I think people like Jung gave us gave us a really um, open door in, into that collective consciousness that, that we all carry, really. And certainly, um, certainly, my um, my parents' lives. Um, the, the more therapy I had, the more I understood the the influence of of their of what they'd gone through and how that was communicated. And it's, of course, it's not always communicated in words. It's sometimes communicated very subtly in in the style of living and. And they were both very um, stoical in terms of getting on with life after the war. Um, so yes. things weren't spoken about. Um, feelings weren't um, weren't particularly uh, allowed because feelings led to sometimes led to anger and therefore to conflict. So they they had very little conflict between them. Uh, but, but one of the one of the results of that was, if they did have any difficulties, they didn 't really resolve them very um, openly or very clearly, so they they went inward and, and hoped that it would pass in a sense
0: so I imagine there was quite a lot of resentment carried sort of resentments and and shut, yes. shut downness
1: um. exactly exactly and, and and that for me was i mean it was part of a culture anyway. Um, and part of a, going, then going to a boys' grammar school, it was part of it's part of that style of of you know stiff upper lip and keep your emotions to yourself. So I, I really had to learn both uh, to allow a vulnerability in, in into my life, and also to resolve conflict in a, in a way that was open and direct, without without shirking it in in a, in a sense and And even learning that that anger and and conflict could could have a loving source could be a a, w- a way of opening things up between people um and and I understand why my parents didn't do that because for them conflict equals disaster and war and 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 all sorts of terrible things so i think i think that legacy for with is with us um in, in a very subtle but profound way, really. And, and a, lot of, a lot of my work has been about working with people and their story and, and the liberation from the, from the story. So the freedom that comes from not being overly influenced by the, not only our story but our parents' stories and, and our ancestors'. Stories which which have a have a big impact.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I look forward to to exploring a bit more. You know how you how you do that and that, mm. frame, that space from the story. But um, yeah. so in in your own in your own life, I, I gather from the introduction to your book that uh, mindfulness practice, meditation, have been a long part of your life, but you'd kind of gotten quite stuck in a way yeah um yeah maybe explain a bit about first of all what you mean you know what what traditions you followed what kind of meditation what kind of mindfulness and also what it is where you got stuck with that yes
1: well I i think the two questions merge into one in a sense because the 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 path that i i used to be um uh, following and had some, had uh, teachers who who are australian uh, that's broadly called a progressive path so uh, a, a path which suggests that if you continue in a certain way these these results will come so they'll there'll be for example enlightenment at the end of that process or or a, a state of peace that 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 will come if you continue like to repeat your mantra or to practice regularly, etc.
0: So basically, and if you keep doing this, if you keep doing this over and over, you'll get to this end yes. point.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. And within that, within that system, there were there were sort of people who were more experienced and 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 sort of master practitioners, etc. And and what what happened really was uh, and it, it was in a sense, a direct result of meeting my colleague, Jean-Marc Montel, who's a French psychiatrist. Um, but th- before that, there was a sort of jadedness. There was a sort of sense of, actually, this isn't taking me anywhere. And and all, in a sense, some of the promises were, were not being fulfilled. So, there, yes, there was a sort of jadedness and a sense of... Um, a sort of a frustration, in in a sense, and 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 then the other path that was sort of revealed to me, which is the path of no path, in a sense, is, is called the direct path, and 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 that involves really stopping the search, really ending that process of looking for something out there that will will liberate or or enlighten. And 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 that was really a, quite a dramatic end to the searching, to the to the sense of progress, mm-hmm. to the sense of something out there that that would fulfil me.
0: And, it sounds and that sounds very zen. It sounds like a very zen yes. uh, kind of approach. Yes. But uh, yes, whereas
1: the other, I don't
0: know. So was it Buddhist? Were you sort of largely Buddhist influences or yogic? No,
1: influences? it was more. It was more Hindu in the in the Vedic tradition, right? So our teachers had Indian teachers, and it was a lineage of of um, yogi masters, basically.
0: And that was the progressive path, the way you go to yes. this
1: goal. Yeah. Yes. Yes.
0: And then this French psych- psychologist was it uh, who kind of stepped in and cut through all that and.
1: Yeah, he gave he gave a psychiatrist. He gave a speech at the Royal College of Psychiatrists um, that I went to, um, and it, basically it, it wasn't like a speech. It was more like a meditation. He he said something, and then there was a very long gap where of, of contemplation and silence, and 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 each of those statements really challenged the the notion well of of being in being in a role for a start of the role of a psychiatrist or a therapist uh, of of thinking that there was anywhere to go or get to as you say a, a zen non dual position really and and he spoke that, but he also in a sense transmitted that with his with his presence the way the way he was with the audience very challenging for the audience because most people in the room had spent years and thousands of pounds becoming psychiatrists and, and had quite senior positions. So he was saying, the first thing he said was, if you want to be a psychiatrist, completely forget you're a psychiatrist. So it was a very sort of radical um, position for all, all of us in the audience to, to sit with.
0: Well, and I imagine especially for those who didn't have some kind of contemplative yes background yes. right which probably would have been the majority yes
1: yeah. yeah absolutely yeah exactly yes there were some of us who did and i mean the the conference was on on mindfulness so there was an interest right. uh, but as you say right. some of some of them there would have been that would have been an academic interest rather than a than a, a contemplative practice that they were familiar with really
0: yeah yeah um, yeah, so I guess I just, just returning and I might, it might not be relevant to, to your approach, but, uh, I, uh, from your practice and your, your Hindu, and then I don't, am not quite sure if there's a Buddhist influence, but, um, from those influences, I guess when you're working with patients, um, with clients, I don't know how you can yes. work with, um, I like the way you, you could have phrased it. You know, you 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 refer to the at one point to really thinking about why are us why are the two of us in the room right now? What are we bringing here? What brought us here? And um, yeah, uh, you know, you reflect on this. I think with the context of one of your the people you worked with um, who called you brother, and you were initially a bit uncomfortable, yes. and then you kind of adopted it as a as a as a recognition of soul to soul kind of. Um, so you're in a kind some kind of evolutionary relationship with these people that you're working with yes yeah. um
1: yeah
0: what is the framework does your framework does it come into does it does 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 the you know uh energy exchange come into it when you're working with clients do past life factors come into it um yeah
1: I, I, past lives are an interest to me, and I, I think probably, although I don't know much about it, um, I, I, I do think that basically we're consciousness, and and each manifestation of of a, of a life in the body mind is a consciousness. So, so why not that be, you know, over over many lifetimes? You know, that makes absolute sense to me. Um, it, it doesn't sort of feature in my work, but, but what you're describing as that, as that soul-to-soul connection, which, again, of course, might be over lifetimes, uh, who, who knows? But, but in the example you give, um, it, it, is, it is an important um, paradigm because if we have a, a paradigm that involves the well-treating the sick or the expert helping the student or, or anything that, that has that sort of hierarchical sense to it or, or sense of difference, then I, then I think those are paradigms that, that are role-bound and they just, they just fulfil a story. Um, like it could be that the, that the psychiatric patient gets better as the, as the patient and the psychiatrist helps them get better. In terms of symptoms or symptom relief, but this paradigm isn't isn't about that. It's about it's about knowing who or what we are uh, at, at, at source, at, at the essence. And of course, then the paradigm, as we sit in the room with someone in therapy, is 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 two people exploring their true nature. Um, and and when that patient called me called me brother, he he introduced uh, a notion that yes, to a more formal therapist in me was a bit uncomfortable, but but actually actually it was it was a wonderful doorway into a recognition that here were two beings, two aspects of consciousness that that were meeting, and not in a random way, not accidentally. But but so that so that both uh, explore their true nature together, in a sense.
0: Um. Yeah. And so let's talk about how that plays out. So when you're seeing when you're working with a client, mm. um, what does exploring your nature look like, and how do you facilitate the client's exploration? So I was I was yeah. especially curious because from from the examples um, that I read, I didn't get a clear sense. For example, how mindfulness was it, whether it was introduced by you as a tool yes. for the people you worked with, whether it was just something that was there for you. Um, certainly, some of the statements that you quote uh, the people you worked with saying sound like they had some really self. They developed some really great self awareness. Um, yes, during the process, yes it
1: it, it varied. like s- some people were al- already had a mindfulness practice. Uh, some people asked about it, and if if relevant, uh, I introduced them to a practice but But mostly, uh, those awarenesses came from a, um, a a sort of mindfulness approach in in the work. So, so the, the, the work then in, involved exploring the story, knowing knowing the story, uh, each, each the the personal narrative, and 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 within that, and this is classic mindfulness in a sense, observing it and knowing that we're not it, disidentifying dis- with the personal narrative, which which in in its um, as as that happens spontaneously there's also there's also the question well if I'm not my story then who or what am I what what is this what is this being who or what is it? yeah so uh, there's a there's a nice example I, I always like where, where the sculptors asked um, how did you sculpt the horse?" And he says, well, I, I, I just took away the bits that weren't, horse. course. And, and in, a, in a way, the therapy is like that. So we, we're stripping away thoughts, core beliefs, personal narratives, a sense of, of, of mask or defensiveness. All, all that gets, gets stripped away. And in a sense revealing that the the true
0: nature of, of the being. Mm. So I'd like to explore that a bit because I I feel um uh, so in my own practice when I started with meditation practice which was how how um uh, you know it's kind of introspective meditation practice many years ago yeah. while I was living in the UK yeah. um mm. I uh I I kind of Developed a practice where I try to, in a way, strip away. I guess what you just described. You know, so identifying stories yeah. and saying that's that's not me. That's not me. It's a bit like the the Buddhists have this this uh, way of describing. You know, the hand. No, you're not your hand. You know, just take away the hand. No, you're not yeah. your arm. Take. You know, take everything away, but you're still there. So what are you? Right. You're not none, none of these yes. individual items. Exactly. That exactly. kind of approach. But um, I actually found it uh, in a way in the long run quite dissatisfying and I felt I got quite stuck Um, Uh and uh, kind of like I was just, you know, I could get to states of peace and kind of feeling like I was connecting with my core of myself, but then these aspects would keep coming back up that I thought I'd kind of somehow meditated away, right? And yes. I, I, kind of realized that I had it was kind of a bypassing thing, I think, right? And yes. And what I found, what I found much more uh, in the over the years, I found much more um, well healing, I suppose, and really grounding mm. was to um, actually connect. So I work with. This this well, you now for me what what resonates really well is this model of parts right so there's different parts within us and you refer to you refer to it a little bit like you talk about protectors I'm not sure if you use that word but you have it referred to yeah. someone having this protective part right um, yeah and to really acknowledge those and to become present to them and to treat them. As if they were, as if they are, you know, a, a being in need of compassion and care, and uh-huh. that seems to assist greatly in really integrating mm. those parts. Mm. And yes. so I'm curious because when you when you talk there, there's a little bit for me. This I'm a bit worried about this bypassing. But then I, you know, in your book, you very specifically talk about. You can't bypass these, you know, the pain. Or this. yes, you have to really feel it. Yes. First. So yeah, I'd let, I'm curious to let you talk on those topics.
1: No, that's really that's a really uh, helpful question, Kim. And um, hearing you talk, I think I think one of the. First- first things i was looking for in meditation i think i was looking for a bypass i think i, I wanted to find a way to just sort of be peaceful and serene and yep. not have these things going on in my mind Same. i didn't I, mean. want, I didn't want difficult feelings or angry feelings or jealous i didn't want any of that sort of complexity and and i was attracted i think to meditation Thinking that 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 w- would happen, I w- I wouldn't have to struggle with these things anymore. So I think what you're talking about it's, it's interesting your your experience of it because I think I think what happens is if we really don't take the bypass and embrace these things, they they simply lose their power and influence over us. So so actually it's a bit like I always think of it as a bit like a, a, a tug of war my my first inclination was to think oh I need to sort of pull in this direction and then I'll be free of all these things and and it's actually the the opposite so so in terms of meditation I used to think well yes I need to get rid of that strip that away then I'll be free in a sense and it and it's the opposite so it's much more about that welcoming of of all those bits of our story and all those parts of us as as Rumi's guest house you know the wel- welcome everything that comes because everything is 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 there to to, to liberate us to, to in the service of of knowing who we are so, so I think it is i uh, really agree with you it's much more about embracing these things and, and within that as as we embrace them that we also we also get the sense of uh, that's not ultimately who who we are they're there they're aspects of us that we've that we've employed um very helpfully um, in in some cases so you know the, the protector for example that part of us it, you know can be really useful for a a kid to to defend itself and 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 to get through difficult times, but then of course we're we're stuck with with clenched fists that's, that don't work so well in terms of openness or or tenderness or, or 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 intimacy. So so as as we embrace those aspects of the way we've managed, they they can fall away because we don't need them in quite the same way. Yeah. But I, I really agree with you, it has to be, yeah, the, the process is, is one of embracing. Yeah. And that's in the, in the book, in so many stories, so many stories, people were coming with, with really challenging breakdowns or crises um, that, of course, they wanted to get around in the way that I used to want to get around.
0: Really. Yeah, that makes so much sense. It is a very natural desire to get away from yes. painful experiences.
1: Yes, exactly, exactly. And psychological ones as well as, you know, psychological pain as well as physical. Exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, and I was also curious uh, whether whether you work with mindfulness. So um, I don't know, are you familiar with uh, Hakomi? Psychotherapy method called hypnotherapy. Someone, yeah,
1: someone mentioned it to me a while ago. I, I, I not very much, but I, okay. I know. And, a little and bit look, what you're
0: I don't think it's the only
1: method that does
0: this, but it's the one that I've, I've had, you know, I've worked with, okay. and um, and so I guess that's why I'm bringing that up because one of the big parts of that method that's I found so powerful is that um, it's very much based on body awareness in the session. Mm. And it's actually based, it's actually, the story actually plays very little role in it. It's, Mm -hmm. you you know, as soon as you start sharing a piece of the story, you'll have things happening in your body and that's where the therapist will guide you, you know. What are you noticing? Uh What's coming up? Tell me more about that feeling in your body. So it's very much about mindfulness of what's happening in the body. Yes. Um, And I was curious whether that features in in your work
1: yes um again it, it might vary from person to person somewhat it, it, like some some people um are, are very much into their cognitive way of approaching the world and some people very much in their bodies and and, and also n- need to sometimes come out of their bodies and and be in a more global perspective of what's going on so it, it's somewhat horses for courses, but of course the the body is a wonderful vehicle for for being present. So not surprisingly, in that process you're talking about, if if we're with the body, we're in we're in that moment, and 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 the the mind tends to be elsewhere in in that time frame. So the mind might be regretting something or or anticipating something in an anxious way. Uh, and so the the body work, and particularly the the breath, I think, is a is a is a very powerful way to to invite presence, and for the therapist to be to be present, of course. And and a, a lot of information, of course, comes via the body. You talked about energy exchange, and of course, there's a there's a very powerful resonance when we sit uh, with another human being. And, and that can be great information um, e- even to this to the extent that some people who repress feelings um, th- if you sit with if you sit with someone who really represses their feelings sometimes you feel the feelings that they they've repressed A bit like a, a lightning conductor you you take the energy comes through your system because it's not it's somehow blocked in, in theirs, which can be great information and, and, and can open up conversations uh, and and open up doorways for the person to f- start to feel those things them, themselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you might be able to articulate something for them with that they haven't even been able yeah. to articulate for themselves, right?
1: Yes, exactly. and And in so doing... You're also saying, uh, back to our previous um, topic, that 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 pain can be felt. You you can allow these things. You can allow all sorts of sensations in the body, and it, it's it's not a failure. It's not a problem. It's a it's ultimately a creative process and one of being alive, being fully alive in this in this in this life.
0: Yeah. um so when you when you work with people um, do you have a practice for yourself so you know being particularly aware do you keep yourself grounded to, to notice what arises for you to notice these feelings that might not be yours, maybe even thoughts that might not be yours um, mm-hmm. how do you how do you do that
1: yes yes all of all of that and 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 probably the 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 additional thing it, it would be um, would be to to be very sensitized to my own story and my own potential responses which which could be in the body of course it could be a, a sensation so for an example the the guy who en- ended up call me, calling me brother—he—he mm. was—he's um, got a very violent history, violence done to him and then by him as a younger man. He was a very scary person to sit with in the room. Now, if I—and I didn't always manage it—but if if I wasn't able to sit with that and and still be present with him of course i might have acted out some defensiveness i might have might have withdrawn from him or, or i might have rejected him in some way or i might have used my own position of power in some way to to overcome or overwhelm him so so part of what i'm doing is sitting there yes as you say being being as present as i can in a, in a mindful way and within that uh, noticing how my story might get might get activated as well. So in in his case, you know, I, I was quite I was quite frightened as a young man. Um, certainly frightened of of conflict and and violence. So that that was activated within me when I when I saw him.
0: Yeah, that's right. You described worrying about, uh, I think it's Teddy Boys and, and yes, bi- right. Vikings or something, right? When you're...
1: That's right. It was, that, it was that era. And, of course, yeah. they would walk along the streets in a, in a big gang and it was, it was pretty scary. And he was a, he was a member of a gang. Um, and I think he led a gang for, for a while. And, you know, it, it, it evoked quite a lot of my history. But equally, it can be it can be another evocation, like like someone who who presents as very powerless and passive. Of course, it can evoke a sort of a wish to help them do more do more than the, the my share of the of the of the process, in a sense. So so what I'm what I'm doing and what I teach in in supervision and, and training situations is for the therapist to really know their own uh processes their, know their own ego know their own story uh, and and be sensitive to how that's triggered in a in in a relationship
0: yeah yeah that's so key right to to be yeah. aware of what we're bringing into the field
1: exactly and yeah. that's in in the sense what Jean Marc was talking about, in order to be a psychiatrist, he might have said therapist, forget you're a therapist. Don't be in the role. Don't don't try and help or or be wise or be anything. Simply be absolutely present without without role, without personality, without story. And then of course what what comes out of our mouths is is attuned to the other person. And here's that energy exchange again. It's attuned to the other person, rather than attuned into my own needs or fears or egoic patterns. Yeah. So the attunement is helped.
0: Yeah, the attunement is really important. And the other thing that stood out for me, uh, reading those examples, the cases that you, you write about in your book, was the importance of curiosity.
1: Yes, yes. I think that's again in, uh, in, in enshrined in 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 forget you're a psychiatrist or forget you're an expert. Because if you're an expert, then of course you're sitting there and you're analysing and interpreting. You're you're trying to sort of categorise in in some way, and and that isn't curiosity. That's that's an attempt to sort of pigeonhole. And I, I think. It's sitting with that not knowing that allows the curiosity and and of course not knowing is a huge feature of any any mystical tradition yeah almost all the mystics talk about not not knowing
0: the beginner's mind right the open beginner's mind. mind
1: yeah exactly yeah exactly that yeah
0: yeah. Yeah, and, and how have you been finding um, – so you've been with the National Health Service in the UK. I don't know if you – are you still there?
1: Yes, yes, two days a week,
0: yeah. Okay, so for a long, and for a long time, right, for the last – Yes, 30-plus years, 30,
1: 30 30 years. years, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, would you say there's been a, an increase in um, mental health issues or awareness, maybe both? Uh, of mental health issues, um, it's interesting. You know, we started talking about uh, your mum's history and and yeah. that generation, your parents' history. Um, yes. You know, in Germany, I think that that stoic nature is is a very big part of post-war mm-hmm. cultures. And what I found interesting. So, I, in in Australia, I work with Aboriginal people and um Mm. very quickly here i learned about this concept of intergenerational trauma it's a it's a big part of what people are speaking about the colonial experience i never not until you know the last maybe the last five or six years did i really start thinking about how that might relate to my own background in germany and there's only recently being a been a series of books that's come out in germany that kind of looks at the impacts of you know the children of war children and the grandchildren of war children and how things yes. got, things got passed down the line um yes so this i would say i mean i would say and i think you agree that there's there seems to be a greater an increase in awareness of mental health issues and how they manifest yes. and that it's okay to get to, to, to care for them and so on but maybe also yes. an increase in issues do you think or or, or not?
1: I think there has been an increase in issues. Uh, yes, yes, of course awareness um, and 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 people like uh, you know the royal family the, 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 uh, have spoken about their own mental health issues, uh, and sports people now much more openly talking about uh, their own mental health issues. And of course, part of that is 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 being open about vulnerability, particularly I think for men in our culture to talk about vulnerability and and you know what used to be seen as as, as weakness in a sense. Um, and and I think the, the problem that I have with the way we generally talk about it is we we talk about it as as an individual problem. So so um, Why is this person feeling suicidal or depressed or anxious? What we don't do so much, um, which is absurd in a way, is talk about it as a cultural problem. Why do so many young men, it's it's the biggest killer of young men in this country is suicide. Um, You know, the Dalai Lama called depression and anxiety in the West uh, a, a first world epidemic. He said, "You know, what's going on? That that you're so affluent, you, you know, and and yet, you know, there's so many people depressed and suicidal. And, and, and this is, um, I think, it's a massive cultural problem that that we don't we don't address. I mean, of course, the cost of addressing it is is, is radical because we need to look at." capitalism and uh, individualism and uh, uh, ego and uh, acquisition and, and narcissism, it, it, would, it would challenge um, a lot of the things that we hold sacred in, in our so-called um, affluent society. Um, Although that itself so,
0: uh, is a, the, the way we hold these things so sacred itself almost yes. seems like a mental health issue.
1: It is. It is absolutely is, absolutely is, and and one of the reasons that I've stayed in the NHS is is that it is accessible to to everyone. You know, you don't have to pay for it, so you know, ordinary people can get can get the sort of help we provide. And, and one of the things, again, you, you used the word paradigm earlier on. One of the things is is the, the paradigm is that people come into mental health services and they see themselves as a failure. They see themselves as, in, in cultural terms, something's gone wrong. Maybe they lost a job or lost a partner or something. And, and that paradigm is, is, is pretty toxic in a sense because it, it leaves people thinking that they have to do this in order to be a success or feel okay about themselves so what we try and do in our service is 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 turn that on its head and say no this isn't this, this isn't a problem you're not a failure this is this is in a sense nature at work this is some sort of breakdown prompting a breakthrough in in consciousness in, in your life so don't see it as failure and 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 and, of course, mindfulness, and, and Mark Williams, the English professor, spoke about this recently, is, is inherently subversive because we start to realise how driven we are to, to, to have this or have that or, or the next shiny object that's going to satisfy us. Uh, and, of course, as we sit with that, we'll know that that's just a mirage, really. That's not going to make us happy. And I think de- that's why so many people are interested. Sorry.
0: Well, I was going to say there's there's been some debate about that. I don't know if you've seen it. There's been a, a few articles recently that have been quite critical of mindfulness because um, looking at it as being co-opted by yes. the capitalist yes. system that is actually so good at co-opting everything, right? So yes. big, big companies yes. big companies will have uh, mindfulness sessions for the employees so that they become more productive employees right? yes so instead of looking at it as a cultural you know as a I, which I agree it can absolutely be a revolutionary yeah tool, but like so many things that could be revolutionary can also be yes co-opted back into the system
1: well that's that's exactly what um, what this program was about and the interviewer. Uh, had just uh, spoken to an american woman who said yeah we get we get a lot more productivity if people do their mindfulness at lunchtime so the interviewer asked mark williams you know are you concerned about this and and he said actually i'm not that concerned because it's mindfulness is fundamentally subversive so if if we sit and notice let's say we notice the the pressure of the company to do more, then we'll, we'll know that that's an illusion as well because all, all that comes via the mind in that way is, is part of that illusory package of, of more, a culture of more, more, more. Um, and, and fundamentally, mindfulness is, it can never be about more. And it can be taught in that way, you know. More the more mindfulness you do, the more peaceful you'll be. But that—that that again is part of, of of what we need to learn about it.
0: So, give it, give me your take on mindfulness. Maybe give me your your your, um, your practice and w- yeah, what what exactly is encompassed? Because we've been using that word quite a bit, and it could mean different things to different yeah. people.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's. Um, i think i think my take on it is 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 very sort of uh, distilled down to 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 just to 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 noticing and accepting so notice what's there and accept what what's there even welcome what's there embrace embrace whatever ever comes so so in a sense the perfection of each moment as 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 we sit with it and um, the, the practice for me these days isn't so much a formal practice, although um, occasionally I might I might sit. But but the, all of life now is is practice. So all of life now is 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 that being aware, being uh, noticing and accepting whatever whatever occurs. Um, and that doesn't have to be sitting. It can be, it can be walking. It can be playing golf, which which is a meditation for me, or washing up, or taking the dog out, or you know, or or a difficult conversation, or a, a conflicted conversation. All of it, all of it, can be done in awareness, and and all of it can can have its source in in a peacefulness and a stillness. Or a silence. So it's sort of remembering the source in in, in in everything.
0: The source. What do you mean by the source?
1: Well, it's got a thousand different words, but it might we might call it consciousness. We might call it stillness. We might call it peace. We might call it love. We might call it silence. And none of those words get anywhere near describing um, the, the the joy of that source, the, the the vitality, the the energy of that source, which is both nothing, both empty and full at the same time.
0: So it's what kind of would be described as the 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 emptiness in Buddhism? Is that what you're talking about, or Atman yeah. in Hinduism? Yes, yes. Um, those sort of ultimate, the attempts at capturing this ultimate ground of uh, ground of nature or of be, yes. nature of being or something. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes, yes. and and like that that is in everything. Like I'm looking out of the window here at a tree fern and, and some other trees and, and the sky. You know, everything with that, with that as its source, including these two body minds that that are talking here.
0: Yeah, that what you described makes a lot of sense, right? When I first um, was taught meditation, our teacher basically um, did what he called introspective meditation, which was a sitting practice for 20 minutes or whatever it was. And then everything else, everything else he referred to as daily meditation. So just emphasising that your life is meditation. Yes, Um, good. But um, uh, I guess over the years, I, I, you know, this took, has taken different forms for me and different, yeah. different things have become more emphasized and so on. Yeah. Um, in your case, maybe you could give an example of a situation where um, a difficult emotion arose or, or you were triggered by something mm. in your life and you mm. brought, brought mindfulness to that situation. You know, how might that play mm. out? Mm.
1: Um. i yeah, I, I, that's a really interesting question. I think um, I I, think I suppose what comes to mind is maybe a, a challenging physical situation where I was in a lot, a lot of pain and there was a lot of fear associated with what that pain was, for example. Um, so there, so there's a a, a a lot of intensity to the to the physical experience. And um, I, 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 the, the example I was thinking of is where um, uh, I, I've had kidney stones over the years and this, this was a, a treatment for kidney stones called lithotripsy where, where you, it's a sonic um, pulse against the stone which over time, just over about 40 minutes, just disperses it. It sort of explodes under the intensity of the sound, and it starts off a bit like you know you might flick your hand like that, and for a while it's fine, but it's a bit like a Chinese water torture. After after a quarter of an hour, twenty minutes, it's it's excruciatingly painful, and um, I was I was uh, I was lying there thinking I need, I need to really welcome this and, and just be with this as, as, as much as I can. And I, I, I did that as far as I thought I did that. And um, nothing changed at all. It was still really intense and really, really difficult. And then, um, and then I remembered reading um, a, a chapter by Jean Klein um, a non dual teacher, and it was on, the chapter was called welcoming, and I remembered within it he he said that welcoming is not a, a cognitive process. It's not a, it's not a theoretical thing. You can't talk yourself into it. it welcoming is a is a completely open-hearted sense of in, embracing what's there in that moment. And as soon as I remembered, it was it was a heart-centered opening and not a cognitive thing the whole experience really transformed it was quite quite extraordinary so the pain was exactly the same exactly the same it, it didn't it didn't change um, but but there was a, a underlying state of bliss i mean it, it was it wasn't just you know i'm i'm managing this or i'm coping with this it was actually blissful behind the pain, or within the pain, mm. and I suppose that that really taught me not just about physical pain, but but the, the psychological pain as well. If if we can truly truly welcome it, it doesn't make it go away, as I as I used to think when I first started meditation. But it but it changes our um, our openness to it in, in a way that's that's, that's quite extraordinary. And, and reminds us of a, of a capacity for joy throughout throughout this this life, whatever's going on. Mm.
0: Yeah, and it's remarkable how hard that can be, right? How hard it can be yeah. to turn towards an aspect of ourselves.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And as you said earlier, we're we're sort of. It's understandable we don't. We're also taught. Taught not to you know most of our uh, cultural training is is to get on top of something or uh, avoid it or, or manage it or cope with it in some way yeah we're, we're very rarely are we taught to embrace and to welcome what, what comes, and we have yeah. to go back to the poetry of Rumi and people like that who, who, who taught that so exquisitely
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, talking about you know subversion and cultural shifts and so on. I think uh, the shift from um, putting up with and you know enduring and gritting our teeth and pushing through to a space where we are vulnerable and uh, and open yes. and um, connect with our uh, with our hurts and our struggles is is going to yeah. be you know massive. And um, yeah, uh, yeah. Require. Interestingly, you know, when we say this, it often sounds for people. I think when people talk about it, it sounds like you're being soft, but it's actually yes. going to require a huge amount of courage.
1: Yes, agreed. No, I really agree. And I think I, it's interesting what you're saying is that it's for some reason, it made me think of um, again our history. Of, of course, the rise of of fascism had its origins in the first world war didn't it so the the shaming of the german people at the end of the first world war and how germany was divided up and it it was the the ground in which hitler could could say to people no no we're 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 wonderful people we're we're the best sort of thing and of course within that project all the all the shadow of that Onto Jews and trade unionists and Gypsies, etc. cetera, yeah. and we see it now, don't we? We see it now with 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 uh, with Trump, and Johnson, and, and and a number of different narcissists actually in power across the world. And, and and unless we unless we deal with that narcissism in ourselves, where we where ego s- steps in to, to try and make it all alright, rather than say, oh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, I didn't realize that I was hurting you, or, or uh, I don't know the answer to that question. How many politicians do we hear say, "I don't know"? Uh, uh, you know, let's let's wait and see. Uh, no, no, I know the answer to that, and they're the problem, yeah. not me.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned narcissism, right? Because that it certainly seems to be a a, um, a feature of a lot of people in powerful positions, uh, a condition, a a mindset, and it lends itself to power, right? But I was recently listening to um, a fellow, an English guy, he talks a lot about narcissism. uh, I can't remember his name. uh, Richard Grannon, I think. Um, He's very active on YouTube. Oh, yeah. And he made a really interesting point, which I thought is, it kind of relates to this whole mindfulness thing as well. And that is that, yes, narcissists are horrible people, but the only reason that they get the power they do is because, many of us enable them because we have codependent codependencies and we are really bad at setting boundaries. So narcissists, no. you know, live on the fact that other people don't set boundaries. And, uh-huh. um, That's and interesting. One, one of the things that I see and that I found in myself is that yeah. a lot of spiritual traditions and especially uh, these um contemplative traditions that I was also very drawn to, yeah, uh, can, can kind of feed into our lack of boundaries because, yeah. because we want to be, um, well, because we, talking about non-dual and I'd, be, I'd like you to talk a bit more about what non-dual looks like for you. But, you know, the way I understand it is, you know, you are consciousness, I'm consciousness, we're all one. The, there's yes. an illusion of separation. Yes.
1: Um, yeah.
0: In fact, this whole idea of everything is illusory, you know, so we don't really have to set things up. Yes, you can take those things off me. It doesn't really matter because you know mm. like there's a risk, mm. I think, that um and it's a bit different from spiritual bypassing, but it is in a way related because it
1: Yes, it, it's related. Yeah. It can
0: take it can stop us from taking decisive action in the world because we are so mindful, right? Yes, <laughs> so yes. it
1: becomes kind of <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's again there's a discrimination between responding from ego or or role or or history or some story, and responding in in terms of what's the right thing. So, so um, the the right thing sometimes love comes as a sword, not not just a pen. Sometimes we need to be very direct uh, about something that we, we see is, is harmful or, or unfair or, or, or violent or whatever. And I, I think that it is a common confusion, isn't it, that, that, that somehow uh, the, the, the mindful practitioner or, or the Buddhist it, it, or even the Christian, you know, to turn the other cheek, is, mm. is, is, is not going to deal with, with the problems of the world. But I think it. I think that's a, a, a misunderstanding of the of the power of the teachings and the power of love. Um, love in all, all its forms. You know, sometimes then love comes in that form of of yes, standing standing your ground. It doesn't have to be your personal ground. In a, in a egoic sense, you don't. You're not doing that to me. But it can be more impersonal, like no. You're not doing that, that's not right. that's not just that's not fair um, if we can take out the to me bit, i mean Christ got angry, didn't he with the money lenders and things, and you know he, he he was very powerfully angry about about what they were doing, not because it upset him personally i I don't imagine because it wasn't right, it's not fair, it's not just.
0: Yeah, I'm never quite—I never quite understood, understood that story, you know, why I was getting so cross with <laughs> <those> people. <laughs> in, out of all the people you could have gotten cross with, right? But, um, <laughs> but I do yeah, get your point. It. I, I get your point. I mean, you know, Martin Luther King clearly was mm. a man who was deeply connected to his soul, and he was powerful yes. presence, right? I'm thinking of Thich Nhat Hanh, the Buddhist yes. uh, Vietnamese Buddhist monk who was, you know such a presence and very active um around peace and and so on yes um yes
1: gandhi um, yes exactly yeah, yeah.
0: so it's yeah. it's just uh, uh yeah i guess it's just how we practice and to be mindful of the 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 pitfalls that can happen yeah um i yes. mean i've you know i've so i can speak for my private life i i think putting up with stuff from my kids when they were younger because I was so yeah. zen, right? I was so zen; it wasn't <laughs> going to bother me. It should have bothered. It should have bloody bothered me, you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and that's a good example, isn't it? Because that that's no service to them in terms exactly. of knowing their their boundaries and their limits and how to be with other people. Yeah, and no, I, I know that. I know that in myself as well, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um well let's end on non-duality and your your take on that it seems to be important yeah. to your practice now yeah
1: yeah yeah as you said i mean it's a weird it's a weird description of anything isn't it to call something non non anything really so yes it's of course about oneness and and um the interconnectedness of everything and I guess called non-duality, because the mind itself uh, can't know the, the oneness because it's already separate. So our, our thinking mind is already separate, and, and and language is a great separator as well. So the best we can do as a description, in terms of oneness, is is not to, not to, so that the mind is left with not to okay so uh, and in 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 christianity that's called negation and in hindi that's called neti neti so not this not that not this not that not to not to and therefore everything everything part of everything else which of course it can be known in in this in this body mind but but not known in in a in a cognitive way, it's beyond the mind's capacity to know that.
0: So it's an experiential knowing.
1: Yes, a deeper, a deeper knowing. Yes, exactly. If if it's known in the in the mind, then it's in the in the right brain rather than the left brain consciousness.
0: Yeah. Um. I mean, I, I guess I. Uh, uh, you know, for me it evokes kind of these moments of ecstatic kind of bliss, senses of freedom during meditation when you get this, it's almost like you get this wave of feeling this oneness going Mm. through the body and then... Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and, and, and that is a part of it And, and and I think... Sometimes we need to be careful because not everyone has that experience. But for some, it's a much more ordinary sense of maybe they're walking in the woods and there's just, just an ordinary sense of, whoa, this is, I'm, I am this. I am this. Um, and it can be blissful, of course. And, and, it, and it can be really ordinary as, the, as that sense of I Falls away just in, in that moment. Yeah, extraordinary and ordinary.
0: Yeah, you talk about one of your one of your clients uh, describing this situation. I can't remember exactly the detail, but but um, I think she said she noticed. Uh, he or she said they noticed that they were whatever other people's like. They they had that they had that moment, seemingly spontaneously arising. Yes.
1: Yes yeah exactly yeah, exactly. and and it, in a way the, the the breakdown and the crisis it, it's all it's all part of that. It's a very creative process because if if we're holding on to to the sort of sense of us as as, as this separate identity, then something about that needs to to, to dissolve or to be broken up. For, for the true nature to, to, to experience itself mm.
0: and do you find it is it a concept you find useful in your therapeutic work like in terms of introducing it to people or um, uh, you know does it help people shift their relationship to their story
1: yeah. Yes, yeah, and again, it, it's it, different people. Uh, have, we have different access to it in, in 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 the way they see the world. But yeah, I mean, I did a mindfulness group uh, recently, and this woman had been in a previous group that a colleague had run. And I said, "Well, what, what did you what did you um, get from the the last group from mindfulness?" And she said, "And she she'd had long standing." problems with psychosis and depression. And she said, oh, that's easy. That's easy. Now I know I'm not my thoughts. Now I know I'm not my thoughts. And, of course, the, her thoughts were really extreme and self-deprecating and critical, judgmental. That that liberation from that identification with thought, wow, what a, what a gift, really. And I suppose all of my work, whether it's a formal teaching of mindfulness or or sitting in therapy with people or or leading a meditation group or a silent retreat or something, then all, all of that would be with that essence. I'm not my thoughts. And then of course, if I'm not my thoughts, if I'm not my story, then what? Inquire into into what is this, what is this really? What's the true
0: nature of this? Yeah. Yeah, it sounds really really valuable gift to provide people. I'm sure I'm assuming it's not mainstream in the NHS to
1: No. No. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> no. Mindfulness is becoming more mainstream, but but non non-duality is not not there yet. But but more and more so. Even non-duality is getting spoken about. So um, it's interesting. Yeah. There's a BBC uh, sports reporter who interviews people uh, on the BBC. It's a sort of sports psychology type program, and he's into non-duality and has spoken about non-duality on on that program on the BBC. So there's just there's more and more. Openness to to whatever that means. I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, look. My experience was, you know, I was living in the in the UK in the 90s, and I found <clears throat> I found then compared to Germany where I'd been before. Um, yeah. I'd say also probably compared to Australia. Now, it was there was a lot of um, spirituality. If there's a lot of Buddhism, yeah. there's a lot of yoga. There was a lot of all these things were really big um, spiritualism. Um, yeah. So that does seem to be a big part of of English culture.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. It is. is, It's true, I think.
0: Hmm. Well, do you want to tell people where they can find more about you, your book? I don't know if you have other things that you offer. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Thank you, yeah. So I have a website called nondualmindfulness.com and the book is called sitting in the stillness and it's on amazon and um i don't know what the big bookshops are in australia barnes and noble i think is an american
0: yeah Dimix company, perhaps, is probably the it? only one left here now i think dimmix okay
1: so, yeah. okay i i haven't seen whether it's on that or not but certainly amazon and in, in this country waterstones uh stock it um yeah, and uh, the, the next thing on the agenda is uh, is a book about mindfulness and golf, actually, which has oh, just yeah. been accepted <laughs> by the publishers. So uh, uh, hopefully that comes out ne- next year, I think, sometime. Okay. Watch Thanks. this space. That sounds like fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, For it is. Golfers among it's us. been fun to write. Yeah. Hmm? For the golfers yes. among us?
1: Yes, indeed.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, indeed. I think hopefully it's broader than that because it's a, it's really about uh, letting go of performance and that performance anxiety and being. Uh, I've called it no one playing. So again, it's non non duality and, and yeah. life and performance. Really. Yeah, that sounds great.
0: Well, thank you thank so you. much, man. I really enjoyed our
1: our chat. Yeah, me too, Kim.
0: I really hope you got some value out of today's episode. If you did, why not leave a positive review on iTunes and share it on social media to help others find it. The tune seeing us out is another one from Axel Tesliff. This one is called Akasha. You can find more information about today's guest on my website, multidimensionalevolution.com. Including any links to their work and their contact details. On my website, you'll also find my blog and information and reviews about my book, Multidimensional Evolution, which you can purchase in any good bookstore if you want to show your love for this show and get practical info for your own exploration of consciousness. Finally, please get in touch, whether it is to ask questions share experiences, or suggest guests and topics. I always love hearing from people, as I believe it is through sharing with each other that we can all grow together. Until then, or until you tune in again, I am sending you my very best energies.